Hi, this is Jim, and this is Second Chance, a Moped Podcast. And welcome, everybody, to another week of Second Chance, a Moped Podcast. I almost didn't do one this week because uh, I've been sick. Like, I don't know. Like, I got gnarly sick Thursday evening, and then I showed up to work for like 20 minutes. I'm like, I'm out. And then slept all day Friday. And I, it must be like just knowing I had uh, Conan like a week ago say, hey, I'm going to have a layover in Minneapolis. Let's get together or something. And like I felt great Saturday morning. You know, went over, picked Conan up at the airport. We got some luche, took him to a final establishment known as Menards where you always save big money. And just he, I don't think he'd ever been to one or it'd been a very long time. Like he was, he, I think wants to move to Minnesota just for Menards. And, (laughs) um, that, that made me happy. Like I, I tell people that all the time, whenever you're coming through Minnesota, hit me up. We'll go get some food. You got a place to stay, whatever. Uh, if it would have been like an hour more, I would have brought some bikes. We would have rode around a little bit, but you know, it just, I'm not going to be the reason why you miss your connection. And that's what I told Conan. Like he was gone from the airport for literally one hour. Like he had a, he had a three hour, uh, layover. And he, I think I picked him up at like 1205 and his boarding was at 310. I had him back at, uh, Minneapolis Terminal One at like 107. Like I don't, I I had it all figured out, but you know, and that made me very happy because like because of me getting sick and everything like that, I don't think I'm gonna make New Orleans, which kind of bums me out because that's so fucking beautiful down there. Mm. I can't encourage enough people to go. But like that's it. I had one of my moped children uh come over with a bike today because a fuel line broke on him. And I just, it took me like three minutes. And the thing I like about the people who I sell bikes to, they respect my time. And like, I tried to um, shove my, he gave me like five bucks for fixing it. It's like, dude, it was like three. He's like, here, you're an adult. You paid for that fuel line. Just here. I'm like, dude, that's awesome. So that, that it showed he's a business owner himself. It showed me he is at least appreciative of like three minutes. It took me to do that. Um, but yeah, that was kind of my week in mopeds. And this is somebody I, I asked this guest to come on a little while ago. And like, I kind of got fascinated a little bit with his Instagram page because some of the different content that's on there, um, whether it's, you know, some of the, ah, now I'm trying to get to this page and then blah, blah, blah. Um, some of the content that was on there, whether it be scooters some cylinders, all that good stuff. Um, so I asked him, come on and I'll just have him introduce himself. Well, first off, Jim Henry, it's a pleasure to be on. Thanks for having me. Oh, don't worry about it, man. And also you're going to have to explain to me what is Menards. Cause I actually don't know what Menards is. Menards. Okay. Why don't you introduce yourself first? For okay. The okay. All right. All right. Uh, hello, podcast world. My name is Josh Griffith and I am a member of the puddle cutters from Portland, Oregon. Uh, before that, I was a member of the Mosquito Fleet in Seattle. Okay. And prior to that, I was involved but unaffiliated in Columbus, Ohio for about a decade. I started a moped racing league in 2003. Um, I kept a moped blog around 2008, 2013. I traveled a lot. 
I've been tear gassed by the feds. That's beautiful, arrested man. three times, no convictions. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I've been threatened a lot with like being arrested. Like, Mr. Henry, would you like to come with us? No. Um, yeah. But I got through. Now I got, okay. Menards. Yes. You're from the Midwest. How do you not know what I know. Menards is? It's I know. okay. I've, Imagine, I, can see, I can see the logo in my mind's eye, but yeah. I, I've never actually been inside one. See, the thing about it is, like, if you've left the Midwest, they're totally different now. Like, mm. imagine a Walmart, a Target, a Lowe's, and a Home Depot all rolled into one. Because that's kind of cool. what they are. It's like, yeah. and I and don't get me going, because I had to bring it up to Conan. Like, I met John Menard. He's an asshole. Like, I raised oh. go-karts against his nephew. Asshole. I beat him. I smoked him and I fucking rubbed it in his face because like there you go. he's an asshole. Okay, that's all I have to say. But I suck like it, Menards. Say, yeah, yeah. You don't know who I am and you don't remember me, <laughs> but yeah. Um, no, dude. I I knew you had a history, but I did not realize you had that kind of history. And dude, I'm I'm OG. I'm I'm old as shit, and yeah, I've yeah. been I've been involved. In the, and here's the thing: is like I I don't go to that many rallies these days. I keep a relatively low profile, but I got in at a pretty young age and I've kind of, I kind of keep dipping my toes back in the water and showing up from time to time. And I keep, I keep goofing with my bikes, but I'm not like out there and like really pressing the flesh like a lot of people are. So a lot of people don't know me because I don't really get out that much. Well, two yeah. questions. Yeah, sure. Cause you seem going through your stuff. You seem familiar. Did you make it to either the Baker's finish line this year for the puddle cutters, or did you go up to the Mosquito Fleet rally? Yeah, I was at Mosquito Fleet. I was at Blood Drive Okay, 22. that's where I saw your face. Yep, and I think we actually were sitting across from each other at the uh, barbecue spot at the um, the lunch on Saturday. Nope, because Andrew from the Puddle, Cuddler, Never puddle Cuddlers, we both were broken down after the first gas stop. Um, we ended up hanging out outside a YMCA that had been closed for a private event because otherwise we were going to talking about getting trial memberships because uh -huh. we'd been waiting for the chase so long. Um, but no, Andrew from the puddle cutters, awesome guy to hang out with. Um, we had quite an adventure Saturday, but no, we did. I know I saw your face around. Okay. That's why if I can't put a place and got it. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It'll, it'd drive me nuts, but just back no, to Menards for a second. Have you ever been to Bymart? <laughs> do you no. know about Bymart? Oh, no, but like at the end of Baker's, the second to last day, Mars from LSLB and Fred and I, we all went to like, it would be equal to like a fleet farm, but mm -hmm. it was some like ranch store yeah. in, in Haynes, Oregon. It was just okay. like, yeah, it was total like it's Midwest rodeo kind of all that stuff and like yep. so I was kind of used to that kind of stuff. I don't think Fred or Mars had ever seen anything like that. They're like, this is the greatest store in the world. Like you get yeah. rope and like chaps. I don't know. It was just it was yeah, a no, that's store. Yeah. That's how that's how Bymart is. We have a Bymart like within walking distance of where I live, and it's like the best. It's basically like what you described, like a, a Walmart, a Target, a a tractor, like Farm and Fleet kind of store. Yep that like was frozen in time in like 1992 and Dude, like yeah. you can get like fishing lures and shotguns and jeans and yeah. like it's in like bulk food it's yep. it's wonderful it's we all love about the bulk yeah yeah yep. dude it's i i would probably be there like every saturday morning if we had one um in my area uh but that's rad so you said so we don't forget you said 
No, we're going to go through the show progression. We'll see if you can remember your question. Oh, boy. We're going to, you know what? I got a trick for you later on if we can't get to them. Let's do it. All right. So, okay, Josh, here on Second Chance Moped Podcast, we go through people's moped journey, i.e. the very first time they ever saw a moped, you know, smile, smile ride, middle part of the journey, what's like today. So, Josh, let me ask you this. What is your very first memory of a moped? Not necessarily getting on, but like the first time you can conceptually realize that is a moped. Yeah. So I grew up in a pretty rural area. I grew up in a, on a dairy farm. Nice. Uh, southeast of a small town called Canal Winchester, which is southeast of Columbus, Ohio. And there were like zero motorbikes out there. They're very, very rare. Since I'm pretty you're a small sure- town kid, I'm going to interrupt oh, yeah. you now. Yeah, what was your, how big was your graduating class? Uh, less than 100. 44. Like it, 44, like, really? For me. Yeah, yeah. Like okay. Whenever I hear small town people, like I just want to see how small it was. Like, yeah, I, yeah. Less than 100, dude, that's small. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I think I think it was around 80, 80-ish. Okay, yeah. Like we we had a small class for our our my high school. Like generally it was like 80, 90, but for some reason like – I guess there wasn't a lot of kids born in 82 or something. I don't know. Like, but yeah, yeah. So sorry for interrupting you. Oh, yeah. Right. Small town, small town, Ohio. Yeah. So there basically were not many motorbikes. I mean, I remember some dirt bikes around and I, and if I were to guess and like, just think about the occasions when like the, like the photons off of a moped, like past my like visual cortex, I was probably at like an estate sale, mm-hmm. but the first time it really struck me where I like understood what I was looking at and was like responding to it. I was at a party and this was like in my, I don't know, I was probably like 19 or 20 years old and I was at a party in Cincinnati and there was a group that was just forming at that time, uh, which was a scooter club called the 10 year lates. And they were, you know, akin to all the punk rock and, you know, whatever kind of parties were going down. And, uh, I was at this party like PBR in hand, and as was the fashion of the time yeah. and these like three people on mopeds rolled up to the party and like my jaw dropped and i was like this is like the coolest thing i've ever fucking seen i can't believe this is happening right now mm-hmm. because it was just i i never connected the dots that like like this is a choice like you don't have to just drive a car and like mm-hmm. or like like be like kind of like a dildo on like a crotch rocket or like a Harley. <laughs> like you can you can choose. And yeah. these kids just like like instantly like proved it to me. So that that was my first memory of mopeds. And I'm I'm pretty sure one of them was like a Vespa Grande, another one was like a Pook, perhaps. But it's it's pretty cloudy. It was a long time ago. Yeah. And you probably and you I'm pretty proud they could even think it was a Vespa Grande. Like like you're probably just yeah, that's awesome you even realize that much. Um, so how long did it kind of take you to, from like the first time you knew you saw it, like to actually getting your own or even taking one on an old ride? How, how was that? How did that progression kind of happen for you? Things were moving pretty quickly, um, around that time. So, um, just to back it up slightly, like as a kid, like I did not really care about like motorcycles or cars or engines or anything. I was a, I was a very studious kid and all I really cared about was like sharks and airplanes. <laughs> and then one day, uh, my dad, which is very out of character for him, bought a muscle car and brought it home. And then like in an instant, I was just like looking at this thing, like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I was basically instantly converted into 
trying to find something with like a cool engine and that was old and interesting. Um, I worked a couple odd jobs as a teenager, maybe like I was 18, 19 years old. I was, uh, I worked at blockbuster video. I was a lifeguard and I was mowing old ladies lawns on the side. So I had three jobs going. I pretty quickly pulled together a couple thousand bucks and I was like, all right, well, I'm going to get an old car. And the car that I wanted was like Elvira's car, which is a 1959 Ford Thunderbird. But, uh, I was a little bit shy of the amount of money that I needed to get it. And I asked my dad for a loan and he said, no. (laughs) (laughs) So all of a sudden I go down to Cincinnati and I've got a couple thousand bucks in my pocket and my buddy, um, who's my roommate, he's like a mod. He's like a mod mod with like the haircuts Mm -hmm. and the suits and all that stuff. And he's desperate for a scooter. So dude, he, uh, he wants that Lambretta lifestyle is what that he boy does. Wants to, eh. He got pretty close because he, he bought this uh, really gorgeous um, 64 Vespa GL 150. And it was mostly complete, but it needed to be set up. He did not have a mechanical bone in his body. I ended up setting up the bike for him. Nice. And I was like, after just like riding it around town a little bit, like we were just like bouncing around um, like a short vine and like the north side if you're familiar with cincinnati and we had such a good time and it was such an unreasonable amount of fun for what the stupid little machine that it was I was like okay well i guess i'm getting a scooter mm. i got a scooter a vespa vbb 1961 nice. and then my girlfriend at the time she wanted she did not want a scooter because we're all like buying bikes like we're all crazy about buying bikes and yeah. we're buying bikes left and right and were scooters like were they still kind of how how pricey were they in Ohio at this point in the world? They were cheap. Because, like, yeah, because yeah, at some point, like, those Vespa Lambretta style, like, those things did, got crazy expensive because all the mod kids who grew up and yep. got real jobs yep. could finally afford them and afford for somebody to work on them for them. So, I mean. Yeah, yeah it was it was a totally different world back then. I mean, like, the when – uh. Like there were, there were no parts available. Like the only parts that were available in the United States for an old scooter at the time was through uh, scooter works out of Chicago. And okay. this selection back then was really limited. Oftentimes you had to like, just make phone calls and just call around and see who had what, and if anybody had anything. Um, but where was I going with that? So that was, so, that was me interrupting, like giving so, you wondering about pricing of scooters. Yeah, there there was a bar in uh, Northside Cincinnati called the Comet. Comet's still around, and the bartender that worked there was this guy named Patrick. And the only reason I bring up Patrick is because he ended up being in some reasonably big um, rock bands. He was the drummer for um, this band called the Greenhorns, which ended up becoming the Tours with Jack White. Oh, and then wow. he also ended up in uh, the Afghan wigs. But back when I knew him, he was just Patrick, the bartender. And his dad, who was getting rid of all the stuff, had eight Vespas, scooters, and he was going to sell them to me for 800 bucks. Oh, so, shit. So I got on on that. They're all projects. But we basically went from no one having any bikes to everyone has a scooter within like six months, except that we had to build them. To get, we had to build them all. Mm-hmm. So uh, my girlfriend, she wanted a moped. And then I basically talked to some people that could find me a moped. It was a Vespa Bravo. It needed work, but rather than just like fix it up and fix it up, like fix to what would just get it running. I went through the scooter works catalog, which had moped parts and just got all the performance stuff for it. At the time it was like 
a country pipe, a 13 carburetor and a Polini 65. That's what which, I was kind of wondering, like what was available for you at that point through Vespa, like anything. Yeah. But that's still still yeah, legit. Yeah. Yeah. Like a 1330. Was it, yep. was it actual 1313 Shaw or what was it? Just a, I don't actually remember to be hey, honest. Dude, it's fine. It's fine. Like, yeah, we put the bike together and, uh, the bike, I mean like this, I was working with some other people on this one. Um, and the bike ran like kick ass. It was, it was a 45 mile an hour. Uh, maybe, I mean, like, I know that's, I would say it was probably in the low forties and it's it was hauling just... for back then on a Vespa with the parts you had, dude. Like, no, no. Like you're, you're being realistic about speeds. Like I still like I'm not calling the old guard out about their numbers. They'd put, we did 73 night no, in like, yeah, yeah, it's you're being honest. Like, 41 42 on the Vespa with those parts dude that's flying like that's amazing it is it is flying and it may have been because of some of the hills in Cincinnati because it's a relatively hilly city but once I got on that thing and just like was zipping down the street it was just like so much fun like the sensation of speed on this like basically this overgrown bicycle mm-hmm. was just absurd and at that point I was like okay well I guess I'm getting a, a moped now like, well, I guess it's I have varied, to dude. You got on a variated moped. Like that yeah. is the worst drug in the world. I tell everybody <laughs> that all the time. Like my first, everybody knows my first bikes were hobbits, dude. Like that destroyed me. Like, yeah, that sensation of the motor staying the same RPM, but you're going faster. It's just nuts. It's pretty cool. Um, at that point, let's see moped journey wise after the Bravo, I was looking for my own bike my own moped. Cause I already had the scooter. And, um, I think it was through, I don't know if it was like through like a cycle trader or if it was actually through Craigslist as Craigslist was in existence mm-hmm. in like 2001. But, uh, I found a, a Pook maxi, which was just outside of town. And I drove down there to get it. And it was like this, like 13, 14 year old kid who was selling me this clearly stolen Pook yeah. Maxi spray painted black. The whole thing was spray painted black. Like the tires were black cables. Dude, that is so legit. That is, that can't be, it couldn't have been stolen. I mean, <laughs> no, of course. And like his mother was helping him. Like his mother was like <laughs> helping, helping negotiate. And Dude, so I bought, beautiful. <laughs> I bought this thing for 150 bucks and okay. we both, we both thought we were ripping each other off, which was great. Yeah. yeah. Everybody, everybody thought they were coming out with smell like roses, yeah. dude. That's beautiful. So I took this thing home and I, uh, I think all I needed was like a carb clean. It was actually pretty good. It was the E50, um, like, uh, one of the like lime green maxi. And, uh, after like a carb clean and like some air in the tires, like I rode it and it was a uh, Christmas day. And, uh, I went down the driveway at my folks place, which was covered in snow and I was okay. having a lot of fun. And after basically just like riding it around for like a little bit, I decided that everything needed to be upgraded and I was mm-hmm shopping for ZA fifties and immediately set out on like upgrading my bike. So the first bike that I was ever associated with was my girlfriend's Bravo. Second bike was my poop maxi. And then within 30 seconds, I was scouring the world for every part that I could throw at this thing. And so what year was this? Like this that... would, Yeah, this would have been like 2001, 2002. Okay. So Dan hasn't really started 77 no, at this point. There's, there's like, nothing. There's nothing. There's, yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, like you guys are still. Have you discovered? Because I think 50cc.nl is yep. going on, but like, you, have you guys discovered it at this point or? 
so the first thing that I just say, okay, so first of all, um, because I live close to Columbus, Ohio, handy bikes was a thing and handy bikes was like instrumental at the time. So BJ from handy bikes, fantastic fella, super helpful, very quiet, very subdued, but like he he will just do whatever it takes to help you out. So I don't know if you know this, but like every general five-star with a sax engine that ever made it to the United States was built by BJ at handy bikes. Like he assembled them all. He like, he put the, the whole deal together. I don't know who's doing the financing for it, but he basically hand assembled all of those bikes back in like the early seven or the late seventies, early eighties. Awesome. So anyway, I got some parts from handy bikes and you saw where this was going. Uh, there was a, a website back in the day and it doesn't exist anymore. I couldn't find it. I was actually trying to get ready for the show and trying to track this thing down, but there was a website called project 76 pook, uh, mm-hmm. run by this guy named got rigid. That's his handle or whatever. And it's about the Hawaiian moped scene because like the Hawaiian moped scene went from like Pook Maxis to like, um, like little scooters, like auto scoots mm-hmm. in the eighties. But there was a period where all the Hawaiian guys were tuning the shit out of their Pook Maxis. And so this guy got rigid, had this totally built up Pook with parts I'd never seen before. And it basically became the recipe for the bike that I was building back in 2002. So to to what you were saying just a moment ago, I found 50cc.nl and I was able to track down all of the parts that this guy had used, which was a a Gillardoni 75cc kit, uh, I think it was an an Athena manifold, 21 millimeter PHBG, and a Homoe, I think that's how it's pronounced, 8P exhaust pipe. And back then, of course, this is like before PayPal really existed before mm-hmm. Venmo, of course, by light years, what I had to do to order the parts from 50 cc.nl is crazy. I had to wait for the Netherlands to be in the correct time zone where I could call them. So I called them at a certain period. I talked to someone who didn't speak any English at all. He like, he put me on hold for like 20 minutes because he had to go find someone that could speak enough English to speak to me. Mm-hmm. The person on the other phone basically said, all right, Hey, uh, just, uh, you know, fill out the form on the, on the website, fax it to us. And then once we get the, <laughs> once we get the fax, we're going to have to set up a bank wire transfer. So what- we have it so easy, dude. Like I, dude, I just hear dude. so easy. It, it's so I basically had to go to the, the bank and like with all the credentials and like present them this, like, Hey, I need to wire some money from Ohio to the Netherlands using these numbers. And like, everybody was very suspicious. Like this, this happens like, you know, once a year or something like that. Yeah. But the wire transfer went through. I spent basically my, uh, my, my tax return on all of these very exotic parts from Mm -hmm. the Netherlands in 2002. And then I built up a, uh, a really fast, uh, Pook, uh, ZA 50 maxi. I used to have an E50, then it has ZA 50. And, uh, I was like screaming, I was screaming fast, had no idea what I was doing. Um, you know, blowing up clutches. Yeah. Thankfully the, the ZA 50 held it up together. Um, and that's one thing I'll say not yeah. to interrupt you. Like yeah. in Minnesota, we don't have anybody that builds fast ZAs. Like I mm-hmm. guess Detroit, like Alex and those guys are killing it right now is ZAs, but like, I've still never really seen a real fast ZA. I mean, I've been around mopeds for like four or five years now like that's something like 
I have all the respect in the world for somebody who builds a killer ZA. So that's my little two cents on that. But sorry for interrupting. No, it's it's all good. It's all good. And the thing is, is like with um with handy bikes nearby, it's like when I would run into instances where I would have like a small part that was missing, rather than me how to like you know fabricate it or like you know find like something from like a Volkswagen or like a tractor that I could <laughs> transplant it to. Uh, handy bikes was usually able to hook me up. So even though they didn't have like a whole heck of a lot of performance stuff back then, I think they actually had like an Altisa kit sitting on the shelf, but they were able to help me out like with the basics. Mm-hmm. They had still a lot of the new old stock left and just this, that, or the other thing is what you're saying. Yeah. And, and like thinking about it now, it's like they had all kinds of crazy stuff that I just had no appreciation for because I didn't have one of those bikes. Like they all had all kinds of great uh, Peugeot parts and Derby parts, but that was like way over my head at the time. Yeah. So that's, that's so fucking rad. Like, yeah. And that's more, I, I want to dig in somehow and find out more about handy bikes. I've, I've heard some of the history and whatnot, but like, yeah, we'll stay on your story. Um, so how was that firing that bike up for the first time then? It was, it was sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it was sketchy because it didn't sound like the other bikes that I was used to. It just revs so much faster. I mean, not like a, not like an air leak, but like, it was just, it was just, it was so rattly and primitive and insect like and violent. And mm-hmm. it was really great. It was really great. But also I was just like, Oh God, what have I done? How uh, loud was it though? Was it just beautifully, just obnoxiously loud too? It, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, offensively loud, but it was very oh. loud. <laughs> I I get a lot of shit from people about how loud my bikes are and how I rev them at stoplights. Like I'm still, you get me on a bike, dude, I'm 40 years old, but like, I'm still a 12 year old kid. Like the shit still gets me. I love, I love a ripper bike. I love a loud bike. I don't know. I'm just a dork like that. So like whenever I hear you guys, some of the pioneers of performance parts, like I want to know the weird stuff, like how sketchy it was, how loud it was, how many times did it just piss people off being around it? I mean, I think that most people were just flabbergasted. It's like, again, like the, we take it for granted with, you know, the diver- the diversity of things that we have available to us, but there was like a transportation monoculture and like no one, there just weren't mopeds around. Like there weren't scooters around Like if, if I were to roll up to like a restaurant in the short North, which is like a trendy part of Columbus in my Vespa, like next to a Lamborghini, everybody would pay attention to the Vespa and no one gave a shit about the Lamborghini because it was just so unheard of. And like when you rolled through like a small town, like I was doing or anywhere, like the amount of attention that you got was unreasonable, Mm -hmm. Um, which is both a good thing and a bad thing. It's like, you feel like you feel like you're 10 feet tall, but at the same time, it's like the cops are watching you like a hawk. (laughs) I, um, made the mistake of bringing a hobbit down to Southern Minnesota a couple of years ago. I live about three hours from where or two hours from where I used to live. And I actually rode my, you know, responsible bike in a small town I grew up in. And like everybody was looking at it. I got pulled over instantly. And like, yeah. I was legit. All my paperwork yeah. was fine. And it's like, dude, I'm insured. I got tabs and like, they don't know how illegal that bike truly was, but they didn't have a micrometer. Like they don't know how big that cylinder is. Right. Like, and but that's you're right dude like this looks you guys probably got because people have a clue about what this stuff is now especially like mm-hmm. scooters being as popular as are now mm-hmm. and everything but like you guys being the pioneers in the forefront of this whole thing like it was probably like a freaking alien spaceship landing i mean it that's, might as well yep. been. 
that's what it felt like. It felt like you were piloting an alien spaceship because of everyone just looked at you like you had three heads. Um, <laughs> like, what are, what are you doing here? Like, wh why would you be doing this? Yeah. Uh, thinking about the, actually, you know what? I want to go back to something we talked about earlier. I have some questions for you. Can I take a break from yeah, my part of the story that, and dude. ask you a question? Yeah. Okay. I've, I've got a couple. I'll just, I'll pepper them in here. Um, question for you, because I've, I've been listening to a couple of the episodes and don't really have the whole story figured out. I know that you were a kart racer for a long yep. while, right? Yep. Tell like me six what, years. what is like your like dreamiest, drooliest, ultimate cart setup? Because I don't really know a lot about carts, but just throw some numbers and some names at me. Well, like, see, I was sponsored by the same people who, um, the Petties were spot like Adam Petty who died in NASCAR. Mm -hmm. Um, but we're, we're on the same team. I actually raced with them down in the Tulsa shootout years and years ago. And like, I did like oval track stuff. So turning left a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, I knew, um, a former, a lot of, a lot of people I raced with are kind of getting in the retirement age of NASCAR now, like a guy named Jamie McMurray and I were like, he was two years older than me, same team. Like, I race dirt oval stuff. So like I was just a dirt ball. They all called me, but like I'd jump on asphalt stuff every once in a while, like Quincy, Illinois. Um, I raced Quincy in the park one year and first time I ever saw asphalt. First time I ever turned right. I got, um, two in the, I ran two classes there and I got two thirds out of 37 drivers in one class and 24 in another class. And like, I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew how to go fast. Like, there you that's, go. That's and like I always. That's why I love mopeds because I. That is the closest thing I ever got to it again. That feel, that mm. feel of absolute power to weight ratio. There's mm -hmm. something, and I don't know what the formulaic calculation is, but like, it's that edge of the lightning bolt, like absolutely chaos all around you, but feeling like you're in control of everything in that moment. Like, yep. That's, that's, I, I missed that for like 30 years and like mm. through one thing or another, I had like, I kind of had to get out of kart racing because of a, another near death accident I had. Mm -hmm. And like first time I ever went on a hoop ride, I'm like, this is it. Like I am, it's over. Like, yeah, that was like five years ago. So, you know, whatever, dude, like I love going on group rides. I love riding by myself. It's, it's, I can be on a stock bike and have fun and you probably can identify with this. Like, or I can be on a terror of a bike that goes 65 mile an hour and have a blast. Like mm -hmm. they all do different things. So I don't know if that answered your question per se, but like, yeah. No, I, th I think that's great. I think that's great. Yeah. I actually, uh, tried, I mean, I've, I've done a fair bit of, uh, scooter and moped racing. Mm -hmm. I did try my hand at some, some big boy stuff at one point and I spent a ton of money and I had like a, like a borrowed, borrowed chassis and borrowed parts and basically put together like a, uh, like a 125 GP bike. And, um, after all the money and all the expense and all the bother and all the trouble, it's like, you go out there and you just get your ass absolutely kicked by a 12 year old. <laughs> and it's like these, these young generation and like they, they, uh, it's like, it's basically dad's project, but they're yep. like the show pony and they're just kicking the shit out of you. That's the, well, I think what was some 
team owner somewhere said, you want to make a small fortune in racing, start out with a large one. I mean, that's, and that's yeah. what, that's kind of the bummer about it now with racing, especially. And it's happened with a few people in like mid in uh moped GP. Like when I, when I started racing and this was back in the early nineties, like my dad and I showed up with a pickup truck and like yep. a set of tires. And there was people with like 30 foot long trailers filled with tires and carts and we smoked them. And that pissed so many people off because like, some people have that feel and like I was, you know, told that I did and I don't know, but I, and some people spend a lot of money and can run up front. I didn't have a lot of money and I ran up front. I mean, yep. and I don't know it's, but that's the thing. That's a red thing about like, that's why I can't race. Like some people ask me like, well, why don't you go on the track for, moped gp i'm like i <laughs> i can't do it because sure with the accidents i've been in like i know it would never change like mm-hmm. i would have to be up front and like i would i would hurt myself because i i wouldn't have the money for the equipment that i would need and i would act i'd push the bike beyond its own limits right right yeah i mean like the the expression is you know the slowest thing on the bike is like the guy sitting on it mm-hmm. you know and uh that's been pretty much always true. It's, I've never really ridden a bike where I felt like I was beyond the capability of the bike, maybe mopeds. Like I could actually ride the bike faster than it goes, Yeah. but anything with like a decent engine, it's like you, like you are always the slowest component of the equation. Mm -hmm. And so your, your willingness to go faster is, is usually rewarded Yeah. until you, until you crash. Yep. (laughs) And that, yeah. And there's, and there's a fine, fine line in any type of motorsports between out of control and crashing right like yeah. and that's you know there's been a lot of times like even on mopeds like just having fun and blasting with people like mm-hmm. i still love that out of control feeling where i feel like i'm in control i mean right that's something i really have to watch myself especially in like a large pack like at mosquito fleet on friday night i was having mm-hmm. that feeling and i was mm-hmm. like and I was going through the pack and I was like in the front three or four dr- riders at one point. I'm like, I don't fucking need to be here. This is not my city. I don't know what's going to happen next. I need to chill the fuck out. Like I yeah. told myself that more than once, but dude, I love riding with mosquito fleet. Those guys yeah. haul ass and they fucking rip. Yep. And what, man, what a great ride. Like Friday night ride at, uh, at blood drive this year was yeah. so much fun. First of all, just like a, just a beautiful way to present the city oh. and also just like a really, just really kinetic, like really like a, like a rider's ride, you know, where mm-hmm. you up like elevation changes and twisties and accelerating here. I don't know. It was just a great ride. So whoever put the Friday night ride together, kudos to you. Yeah, it was, um, it was a rider's ride, but like the thing, the caveat I'll throw on that is for a new person in that city, I, and this is what happened to me on Baker's. I could not appreciate the surrounding because I had to focus on what the next 10 feet in front of me. That's, that's your killer instinct up at the front of the pack there. That's the problem. Like, you know, I mean, a few times going around some LeBays, like I saw that and I was just like, God damn, this is so beautiful. But yeah, I, it's, I'm always old, you know, the next 10 feet in front of me. I don't know. Okay. I got another question for you and then we'll kind of get back to like the the main, main thing to to you. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Uh, (laughs) So as someone who 
traveled a lot and has gone to like a ton of rallies and a bunch of events crisscrossing all over the place. I'm assuming that you you drive or you fly most or I, how do you get around? Um, 50-50? I'd say it's 70-30. I drive to 70% of them. Okay. Like, so, nope, nope, you go. Okay. One of my favorite things is when I am traveling like on a road trip and I walk into a gas station and I see like a candy bar or a treat I've never heard of before. Mm-hmm. So like there's like regional candy bars and like regional treats. Like if you're in uh if you're in the Northwest, uh, they have like the Idaho spud. If you're in California, if it's got a freezer, they've got like an it's it or an Abba Zaba. Uh, they've got something called blue Monday in Kentucky. Um, I'm just curious, is there a regional like gas station treat in Minnesota? And if so, is it, is it good or is it um, gross? There's is actually, and I'm blanking on it. I will get back to about nutter, but not nutter butter. Oh my God. I it's made in St. Paul. <laughs> I'm it's going to bug the hell out of me. I'm going to have to try to Google this. Okay. I will get to you on this. It's actually really good. Um, I'm going to look this damn up, but there's that. Yeah. And I will say that uh, my phone's being ultra slow right now. Okay. But yes, we'll get, we'll get back to your story and I will Google this while you talk a little bit. Okay. Cause, right. But, um, so you talked about a little bit of, um, racing and you talked, uh, putting that first bike together. Um, how did you make that transition or like, how, how did that happen that Ohio out to the West coast? Like, okay. Like, and I, I mean, I feel like, I don't want to rush your story and we might have to make this more than one parter. Cause like you're somebody with a knowledgeable history of mopeds. And that's what I, that's what this podcast was originally um, mm. started as was like a hit. It was supposed to be more of a layout of the history of mopeds from like a dork like me that doesn't know anything. And I still mm-hmm. don't know anything just to ask most people uh, to like how this whole thing happened. Like it was, so, oh, okay. Like how, how, like, were you actually in one of the original clubs in Cincinnati or like, and I, and we don't need to, and I realize things happen, yeah. life and people, whatnot. Yeah. So we don't need to get into the, the club stuff, but like what all, like, how did that whole thing happen in Cincinnati for you? And were you in one of those clubs back in the day? Uh, not really. I was always outside of the, the club stuff. Um, mm-hmm. so partially that was because when the things were starting to get organized, I had moved to Columbus and in Columbus, despite my best efforts and maybe the efforts of other people like parallel, like ships in the night kind of stuff. Uh, there was no moped scene in Columbus at the time. There was nothing. Mm-hmm. There were customers of handy bikes that were basically taking their parts elsewhere. <laughs> and, uh, uh, at the time I was still having a lot of fun with my scooter friends. Um, and I mentioned the, the 10 year late since Cincinnati early on. And around the time that I was getting into that, I saw this flyer at a coffee shop, like a, like a paper flyer, because again, no internet really, mm-hmm. um, advertising a scooter shop in Columbus, Ohio called supersonic scooters. Okay. And this was a, it's now defunct, but at one point it was like the nexus of not just scooters, but like all European stuff, like Ducati triumph, like all the weird stuff that wasn't a Harley and it wasn't yeah. like a crotch rocket was all going through supersonic scooters, 
well, and I, I should caveat that with a BMW because there's a different BMW place, but it became like sort of like home base for all that activity. And folks, pause you for a second because yeah. I did find the can, the candy bar that's uh, yeah. local to Minnesota. It's called Peterson's Salted Nut Roll. I will send you a link to it. It's a, they're actually damn good. It's like a marshmallow with uh-huh. uh, caramel and peanuts on the outside. Right on. That sounds it's, great. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry for interrupting, but no, I want no, to get that, that information to you. No, that that is the information right there. <laughs> <laughs> I used to eat like circus peanuts, but it grosses out my girlfriend too much. She can't watch that anymore. <laughs> How about so boiled just, peanuts? Just, is she a fan of the boiled peanuts? You know, get those I in the know. south. Dude, those, those are great. Are they? Okay, oh yeah. Like you wouldn't think so. And actually my buddy Kent, like I've been to the South quite a bit in my life, never had them. My buddy Kent in Kansas city came over to my friend Marie's house one night. He's like, I boiled a whole bunch of peanuts, have some. And Kent's from Kansas city. I'm like, fine, Kent. And they're actually pretty amazing boiled peanuts. So just a little something for you. Anyway, yeah, yeah. My ADD is kicking in great That's now. Cool. Um, so, but yeah, Columbus scooters, shops. Yeah. So, um, the 10 year lates out of Cincinnati, we're basically coordinating with supersonic and Columbus quite a bit. And because of that connection, because of there's like a pop in scene in Cincinnati, and then a couple people willing to work on parts and labor in Columbus and Cincinnati and Columbus are not that far apart from each other. No, uh, the scene grew by leaps and bounds within a couple of years. Um, I wasn't a part of the club stuff, but I knew all those people really well. The reason I wasn't a part of it is because more or less the moment that my scooter ran, I decided that, um, working like, uh, like schleppy jobs was for chumps. And I decided to go like finish my college education and try to get a degree, get the adult money. Crazy. Yeah, I know. Right. Like <laughs> I, I was working, I was basically broke as a spoke and I was doing a, a house painting and demolition at the time. Mm-hmm. And man, demolition was just rough. Like you're, yeah. you're just in your, like your scrubby clothes, just smashing stuff with a hammer. And like for the first day, it's a lot of fun. But then once you do that as like your, your way of, of living, like it's hazardous, it's gross as fuck. And like, it's really exhausting. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's it's called work. Yeah. yeah, It's work. work. (laughs) Yeah. It's real work. Yeah. So I moved back to Columbus and even though like the scooter crew that I knew and the moped crew was all back in Cincinnati, there was this own like kind of fledgling thing starting in Columbus where uh, we all had scooters or a couple of us had scooters. And I think it was like through like, like a Yahoo meetup board. And okay. this would have been like 2000 and well, 2002 or 2003. Um, we all decided to converge on this one cafe and then nobody knew what anybody looked like. We just had like, you know, screen names. Yeah. So I just kind of like approached the people that look like weirdos yeah, and just made like the like throttle twisty gesture. (laughs) And then I remember this girl who's a friend of mine, she said her name's Carrie and she, she looks back and she does the throttle twisty thing back. Like, okay, well, I I guess we're, we found, we found the people. Nice. And, uh, I mean, you guys could have sat by your bikes. I mean, that could have happened as well. I, I don't think the bikes were there yet because I think everyone's scooters were like under repair. Oh, like okay. no one, no one, no one trusted their bike enough to like take it like the couple blocks over. I, I uh, thought that was the advantage to scooters. They actually ran on like mopeds. Well, they're, but they're, these are vintage. So they yeah, break down just as quickly. I forget yeah, that. They're pretty, pretty comparable. Um, <laughs> so club wise, we started a club, uh, pretty quickly 
scooter club called the cutters no affiliation with the puddle cutters but that's kind of a weird coincidence yeah yeah um we were fans of the movie breaking away have you seen breaking away no i haven't about bicycles about the kid kid in a small town with a bicycle no 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 i'll I'll have to to check it out dude i'm all about like these weird subculture like when um the daggers from tennessee named their club that and they're all skaters i'm like dude i've seen that movie like that's why i kept on are you talking about thrashing yeah yeah, dude thrashing's great i know i kept on telling like nobody got i'm like ramp locals yo and everybody's kind of looking at me like i had turds hanging out of my mouth i'm like okay whatever and you know, I've mentioned this before on other stuff, but uh, man, like the Red Hot Chili Peppers are having so much fun in that movie. Like, is whatever you feel about the Red Hot Chili Peppers nowadays, like they're just kicking ass in that movie. Dude, you know what? There's still a spot in my heart for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, like, Californication. That was like my album. Like as a because I was recovering from yet another near death accident, and I had just got that CD and like. Dude, that that made me happy. So you know, whatever. And I love blood, sex, sugar, magic, and mother's milk. Uh huh. I loved all that stuff before then. Like, you know, you can't stay as aggressive. Eventually, you're gonna chill out. No, and that, I think that's you know, if you're if you're trying to be Southern California's premier like party band, like heavy is the head that wears the crown. Like that's a mm-hmm. tough title to maintain. Like holy shit. Yeah. Anyway, Red Hot Chili Peppers, thrashing club stuff. I'm yeah. getting lost. It's fine. Dude, it's um, just chatting about mopeds and scooters, dude. That's what we do. <laughs> so the 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 Columbus Cutters Scooter Club is up and running, and everyone's bikes are you know doing whatever their bikes are doing. We're having a great time, and I'm kind of like in parallel to like the main group. I'm still doing my moped thing because again, I've got this like fast as shit Pook Maxi, but no one cares, like because no yeah. one really knows what it is, and like no one really has these parts because they weren't willing to fax the Netherlands to get them. Um, so I show up for one of the Decepticon barbecues because at this point, like the Decepticons were doing their thing. Yeah. And I just, I loaded up the truck and I drove to Kalamazoo and I knew no one, but this has kind of worked out before. So I was just kind of like introducing myself, met a bunch of people, some people I kind of connected to on the internet before then, uh, through Moped Army. And so I kind of knew where to go. And then I unloaded the bike and I've got it on the stand and it's uh, Devin Beak and his brother, whose name I can't remember right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm revving it. And they're looking at me. They're like, how are you doing that? I'm like doing what? And like, how are you doing that? So I'm revving the motor, <laughs> but the, throttle? yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, rev- I'm revving the throttle, but guess what? The rear wheel isn't moving because I had put the, the little rollers in backwards on the counter, the counter gear. And in, in that situation, the only way the wheel will engage is if you pull the starter clutch in again. Mm. So like you use like the starter clutch as like a clutch and they're like, no, 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 it's not supposed to do that. <laughs> but like, I didn't know that at the time. So I'm just thinking yeah. I'm like being badass, but I'm just being a huge dork because my bike doesn't run. Dude, you're not the only person who've done that. I've heard of the people making that same, yeah, yeah. same mistake. So yeah. So earlier you mentioned old guys throwing out huge numbers, right? Yeah. So this is my huge number story. I hear that because I've heard of the, like the no rules race. Have you heard about, you know, the no rules no rule I've race. heard of the no rules race. It was pure anarchy and how more people didn't get hurt or injured is a small miracle in its own right. It was so amazing to be a part of those things back in the day. Uh, it was, it was fantastic when, uh, when it was going down. It was so awesome. Uh, 
it was pure bedlam. I saw people like get run over <laughs> before, like someone crossed a train track and they wrecked. And then like three people immediately behind them, ran them over on their mopeds because it was just like the, like the running of the bulls situation. Mm-hmm. Anywho. Uh, Did you see the swarm and destroy uh, video that got put out on uh, YouTube a few years ago? Like the, like the oldest the, shit DVD, yeah. with like the, the cartoons and yep. like Dan yep. Caster in his underwear and yeah, all yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I actually own that DVD somewhere. Well, it's on YouTube and like they talk about Chad Burke getting third in that, but he ran because of the cops. He's like, Chad took off. The cops were chasing him, but he got third. Like I like that just reminds me of the no rules race on that one. So it, it was, it was really crazy. I can see why the cops were so incensed because think of, think of like a, like a moped rally. Like, you know, like think of like blood drive where we yeah. were like a hundred and whatever deep and just like running roughshod through downtown, except that everyone's doing it at like race speed and like everyone's like zipping in between pedestrians and alleyways and like jumping off shit. You like mean it Friday was, night at blood drive? Basically, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty crazy, uh, yeah. but a lot of you fun. Wanna know why, you want to know why we didn't get the cops called on us? Because QCB wasn't there. That's right, boys. I'm calling you out. I'm giving those guys shit. Anytime I'm at a rally with them, for some reason, the cops get involved. And they're the nicest group ever. And I don't know how it is, but I always blame QCB for it. Bad boys. Yeah. He's yeah. got a bad attitude. Yeah. yeah. Matt St. John. Hold holding down the bye bike group. One member. We got a bad boy here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh so yeah, Kalamazoo back in the day. Uh I brought my bike, but guess what? The no rules race is limited to 50 cc's only. Oh. So because I had a Gila bike uh back in, like I, they wouldn't let me run it. Although in the rides, like the normal rides, uh my bike was easily the fastest bike. Uh, there was a dude with like a Pliny, a Pliny kit, um, mm-hmm. which was pretty hot back in the time with like a 15 Bing and my bike was a lot faster than a bike. I got separated from the ride like one does. And we were in downtown Kalamazoo and I could hear the noise of the mopeds like a block or two away. So yeah. once I kind of like laid eyes on them, I just went straight after them. I don't know how fast I was exactly going because it was you know, I don't have a speedometer. There's no GPS or anything like yep. that, but like jaws were dropping. And if I were to guess these days, I would say I was going over 60 miles an hour, yeah, yeah. Um, which for nowadays, like we all expect like a Gila bike to kind of do that. But mm-hmm. back then, like no one had seen, at least in my experience, no one had seen like a moped do that kind of shit before. And I'm just, I'm just thankful that it didn't blow up or seize. <laughs> and my question is, were you actually wearing a helmet at this point? I was wearing a helmet, but uh, in all honesty, there, Jim Henry, it was like a joke helmet. It was like yeah. a half, like a half hat kind of thing. Oh yeah, know? like nobody did because like nobody realized how it just a different. It was a different time and space. I'm not judging anybody. Like, and I'll call myself out on this. Like, I always tell people, wear a helmet, wear a helmet, wear a helmet. Well, I got a, on a stock bike last week, and I rode it down to a coffee shop without a helmet on. And I rode it home and my buddy's girlfriend fucking popped me on that. She's like, hmm, Jim, I saw you riding down Bain Avenue without a helmet. I'm like, God, like I always have to wear a helmet. Somebody's always going to bust me. So, yeah, I mean, it's a good idea. Back in the, back in the day, you know, people were not as, um, uh, bloodied as, yeah. uh, as experience would, you know, later teach people. So the, there was pretty lax environment about wearing helmets. I think, you know, it's like, 
if you know your terrain, if you're in your neighborhood, if you're sober, it, you know, I think there's, there's situations where not wearing a helmet is fine, but like, I've never heard of anybody getting messed up because they weren't wearing a helmet. I've heard of them like getting messed up because a car hits them. And mm -hmm. if a car hits you, you really want to be wearing a helmet. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Um, I mean, it's, it's just best practice. Like I, yeah, I mean, we, we can go on and on, but you know what? I wasn't wearing mine last week, so I'm nobody's judge. Um, but you had that, you had that barbecue, you had the no rules race. Yeah. And was that your, that had to be like your first out of town rally, first time in moped culture. What was that? Like you talked about running in, uh, um, they bought Devin and his brother, but like, uh -huh. what was it? What was that first big group ride like? Was that just taking off with all those bikes? That's still one of my coolest things at any rally is the first time we all take off together. Yeah. Um, I remember it being really kind of, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was a long time ago, mm -hmm. but I remember it just kind of feeling spontaneous. It wasn't like someone was calling 15 minutes. It wasn't like there was an announcement. The ride leads at, you know, six 30 or something like that. Like it was just like whenever Dan or whomever was leading the ride was just like ready to go. It's like you either had your, your, your bike running or you didn't. So it was like everybody just kind of chatting in a parking lot and then someone starts their bike and then everyone gets their bike and starts to go. That's awesome. It was it. I mean, it was a very different time. Like the scene was totally different in terms of like the composition of like who the kids were and, uh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was super cool. I'm just, I'm happy that I could have been a part of it at the time. Um, yeah. So after building the Gila bike back then and kind of recognizing that it was fast, I immediately wanted to start a moped racing league. Okay. And I knew about, uh, some scooter racing and there was a group called OIL outside of Columbus and Circleville and OIL stands for Ohio YSR league. YSR is like a little, um, like a small wheel, 50 CC Yamaha motorcycle. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's multi-speed gear shift box. Like these things actually go pretty fast and they had their own little racing league at a converted cart track, uh, in Circleville, Ohio and pretty, pretty beat up track, but still fun to ride. Very twisty. And we, well, they were willing to let people out because of course, if, more people that show up to a race, the less the track fees are, you know, the more mm -hmm. you can do. So the scooter guys were doing their thing and I was in the process of building, um, a racing scooter, but I also wanted to get mopeds out there. So I'm on like either like a Yahoo group or something like that, contacting people. I don't know if moped army was really the, the venue for that. I can't quite remember, but I'm, I'm contacting people and our, some of our first races were actually attended by some known names. So uh, Devin beat came out, Dan Castor came out at some point, Chad Burke came out, uh, Chris from moped warehouse. If anyone knows who that is, uh, he was out, although he was kind of a cocky fucker, to be honest with you, <laughs> like he, he thought he'd brought this like 55 CC Derby. Um, and he thought he was going to clean house, but guess what? Devin beak is really fast. Yeah. So, Devin, I've seen some of his builds, like they're pretty amazing. Like I'll say that. And, and he's a, he's a quick rider, like, and build, build or no build. Like he is a fast rider. He can really ride the shit out of a bike. Um, that first go when I basically just invited these people out of nowhere to come to Columbus, Ohio and race mopeds, then, you know, there are a lot of questions like, well, where are we going to race? Like, do we need leathers? Like, yeah, you need leathers, but I have some, you can borrow. 
oh, you have to do this to prep your bikes, like, like showing people about safety wiring and number plates and stuff like that. And, uh, we didn't have a place to stay. So I just invited everyone to come back to my parents' place and crash there, <laughs> which was pretty nuts because like from their perspective, I live in a pretty rural place. They're just, they just, they just met this guy and he's leading them on this like backwoods gravel road to be like slaughtered by hillbillies. Like yeah, they, yeah. they, they have no idea what they're getting into, but of course, um, this is lawless Ohio people. Come on now. That's like- right. Savage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, they all spent the night and I think like my mom made like, you know, some kind of casserole or something and fed everybody and Heck everybody yeah, had a dude. wonderful time. And then we Good went, Midwest we went racing right there. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Is this like, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but is this mm-hmm. maybe the first organized moped racing scene in the, you know, I, I think in sort of like the, the scope of our consciousness, I think it probably is, you know, if you talk to people, they, t- I've, I've talked to people who've said that there was moped racing in New York city in the seventies that that I've heard of that, but I have, there's no, there's no photos to prove it. There's photos of like, um, I forget what they're called, but there's like a, it's like a weird Italian motorcycle thing. And there's photos of that racing in New York city, but I can't find like photographic evidence of it. And there's people who talk about sort of taking over tracks in Florida also back in the seventies or early eighties. So as far as like organized, where we actually had to have insurance and safety prep and number plates and timing and all that kind of stuff, all the sort of official finger quotes stuff that makes it racing. Maybe, maybe, I mean, I mean, and for me, like just kind of, and I've heard of this race. So, I mean, I'm not just like, Oh, you were the first, like, I think for the moped army era of Mm -hmm. mopeds, we'll say like, it probably could be one because, you know, everybody thought like the first time the first pinball run was the first time anybody ever went from like Maine to Key West. Well, turns out that was basically kind of done already. Uh, Tripad Dave has like, I mean, granted he's out of Boston and him and his buddy took like months to do it, but they rode mopeds all the way down that coast and did that and rode all the way back up. And, you know, they weren't racing, but I mean, it had been done and a lot of this, but to me, like, that first Circleville um, race was kind of the first organized moped race. And I mean, dude, that's, that's awesome. I mean, it's that and a $2 and 50 cents will get you a Pepsi, any gas station in America. Right. Right. I mean, I, you know, uh, I don't know that it was the first organized moped race because I've heard of stories of other, you know, regionalities doing stuff like decades ago. Yeah. But yeah. As you mentioned, like of the moped army era, None of the guys that came out had done any racing before. We were all learning it for the first time. In fact, like that, it, there was, I think on like the second or the third race, people had kind of graduated away from the Bing carburetor and were starting to use PHBGs. And I remember like when like jetting was like discovered, <laughs> <laughs> whereas like, oh, you know, and like, and I don't know if you, this is, this is super specific and niche, but like, if you listen to like the, um, uh, throw a kit throw a kit song. You know yeah, what I'm talking yeah. about? Oh yeah, dude. Everybody knows. Of course you know. Yeah, everybody yeah. knows. But there's like, he says something and like, yeah, it's got a bigger jet. Like he, he makes that, that line. Yeah. I was thinking like, oh yeah. Cause that, there was a time where people were buying the carburetors, but didn't recognize that we had to like swap the jets out. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think I was around, I'm not going to name names or anything like that, but, uh, I think I was around when people were starting to figure that out. <laughs> 
And Dude, thankfully I had some guidance from other people to were teaching me about jetting. Yeah. The, I mean, it's just such simple shit that like it, it, that changed everything. I mean, jetting, I mean, you really start thinking about it, like the PHPG, uh, the slide carburetors, like three circuit, it's, that changed everything for mopeds. It yeah. really did. Like, cause I mean, a bang is a bang is a bang is a bang. I mean, does it really matter what jet you have in it? Right. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, you throw that PHPG on there. Oh yeah. That makes a huge it, difference. It makes it, yeah, it makes a difference. Yeah. Um, but dude, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty rad. Um, so you did that. Like how long did that go for? Was that just kind of a one-time deal or did you try to do it every year or? We did it. We did it for a couple years in a row and we had at least a couple dates. So we went to Circleville outside of Columbus was like the main track. That's where we hit a bunch. There's also this really fantastic course. Maybe you've been there, uh, called Beaver run outside of Pittsburgh. And it's about maybe 40 minutes to the, I want to say to the North west of pittsburgh it's a gorgeous track and like it's made out of some really fantastic uh composition material like specific race course like there's like showers at the paddock and it's it's beautiful uh so we hit beaver run a couple times and then um trying to think where else we went and at that same time like there were other groups that were attempting to do similar stuff but i don't think that they they had the numbers that we did Mm-hmm. What ultimately killed the moped racing back then was moped rallies. So if you are going to spend the money and travel all this time to just go out and have fun with like a dozen other guys, excuse me, a dozen other, dozen other guys that you're seeing every couple months, like that kind of runs out of fun eventually. Mm-hmm. And when people were starting to organize more moped rallies in different cities, like beyond like Kalamazoo and Cincinnati and so forth, that became a lot more attractive. And some of the guys that I was racing with, they, 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 there was really no choice. Like they were going to the rally. Yeah. So we lost participation that way. And also people were just kind of moving on with stuff. Like you can only like win or lose races so many times before it gets boring. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. That's kind of what killed it uh, ultimately. And I think we, I think we were racing 2003, 2004 and 2005 is when it was going down. Okay. No, yeah. dude, that's, uh, that's still awesome that that started. And that's, that seems to be a constant in, uh, mopeds is the, some sort of niche racing, just like, you know, since the days of Rob Burrito with pinball, like Baker's mm-hmm. dozen is still an ongoing thing. And there's that niche group that loves to do that. And I'm one of those dorks. Um, so you talked about doing all that, like what made you, and then somewhere in there that west coast swung swing happened to you like yeah at what point was it a job or was it a change of life or yep how how long between like this time and move time yeah so i moved to seattle in 2008 and so if you if you track the timeline from from basically from about the year 2000 to 2008 because i moved in the fall of 2008 like my my life became kind of routine kind of regular like I had, I had wonderful friends first of all, but some of the events of my life were just kind of repeating itself over and over again, like same rally next year, same rally, same place, just doing the same things over and over and over again. It became really routine. And also, um, I had it in my head that my career stuff could maybe take a different direction 
if I moved to a different city, uh, because mm-hmm. it felt like in Columbus, like a lot of the jobs that I was going for were just unattainable or unavailable. Um, at the time, the girl I was dating, she wanted to go to grad school and she wanted to do it in Seattle. And, um, I was like, well, Seattle sounds a lot more interesting than not necessarily like I'm, this is no shade at Columbus at all, but it was just a bigger city and a totally different environment. And I was ready for a change. Yeah. So when she decided to go to Seattle for grad school, I followed her out there. Um, and of course that was, that was a lot of complication right there. Like my life changed quite a bit, uh, in a hurry, of course, when you move, but yeah. that's what, that's what fielded the the move is that, um, in spite of like the great friends and the great community that I had in Ohio, I just needed to just kind of step out a bit. Well, and people are, I mean, as dark as it sounds, people are temporary in life. I mean, you mm-hmm. can always hold, I mean, friends are friends and I still have friends from high school and elementary that I talk to, but like, you know, we all have our time together and soon that time will be over and the next journey begins. And the, yeah, you know, so let me ask you this. How long did it take you from moving to Seattle to actually jump on a bike and go riding around? Like 10 seconds. Yeah. yeah, So like, uh, Seattle is really dense. Like if you've Mm -hmm. never been there before, it's a dense city. It's very hilly. Um, like there's constant traffic, uh, all over through like the, like through the interior of the city. Seattle is basically built on like an archipelago. So it's not really like an awesome spot for, you know, spacious, boulevards it's <laughs> it's tight um so when i first got there i think there was like a bike or two that needed some work so i did wasn't on a bike immediately there was some fixing up that had to happen and uh, i had sold some stuff to be able to make the move so like my bike collection was kind of trimmed down a little bit mm-hmm. but more or less as soon as i was able to ride i was riding yeah um and it's a great city to ride in and uh, you know i I listened to the episode where you had uh, responsible John Phil. Yeah, on the show. Phil's awesome, dude. Love, I love him. He's a great guy. He's he is such a he's such a solid dude. He's such a good guy. He let me borrow one of his bikes to go on a ride, which I promptly wrecked. Nice. <laughs> Two things about uh, responsible John. Um, one, he's terrible at giving nicknames. You know, I list. I actually re-listened that episode a while ago, and I was uh-huh. talking to Kansas John, who lives in. Um, minneapolis now and like there's a thing responsible john didn't want two johns in the club at the same time and try to give him a different nickname and like i heard that and then like how he actually got the name responsible john as a whole kind of a joke in its own yeah. right but like yeah. i started talking to Kansas john about it like that i go he thinks he's good at giving nicknames and i'm like he's really not is he's john just in in a kansas john kind of way just like kind of nodded and maybe agreed with me but Responsible John is a very awesome and good individual, though. I will say that about him. He is he, he's fantastic. Such a solid guy. Solid, I, I love him. Solid can be. Has he has he uh hit you with any of his dad jokes? No, I'm gonna have Holy to ask. Holy smokes. He is like the Michael Jordan of dad jokes. He's incredible. Like uh <laughs> I'm not gonna like, you know, don't don't all sign up or bother him about this, but I get a Christmas card from John. Yep. And he, he writes the whole thing and it's like an update from his family and it's got all kinds of ridiculous puns and hilarious <laughs> dad jokes in it. And I love it. I look forward to it every year. He's, yeah. he's wonderful. Um, yeah, I, I gotta just say hi to him because that's one thing I, 
one thing I love about this podcast, I've got to meet so many people and talk to so many people. And every once in a while, I'll just go through the guest list and just like, hey, how are you doing? Because, you know, I I do care about people, even though I'm weird and whatnot. Um, yeah, I got to hit John up. But so you get out, you start riding, you, you wreck John's bike. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, laid down um, <laughs> one of the Mosquito Fleet's bikes when I was out there, too. So don't worry about it. Um, but how long, how did that, how did that process happen for you to becoming a member of Mosquito Fleet? Dude, it was, it's hardcore. Like, like, uh, like honestly, Mosquito Fleet, if blood drive, this last blood drive is any indication, they've kind of calmed down a little bit. They've chilled out a little bit, but one of the people I met in some of my Kalamazoo ventures back in like 2003, 2004 was Brendan Barron's, (laughs) Kevin Barron's and Ariana. And I met a bunch of other people. They all showed up on the Mosquito Fleet bus. I don't know if you know about the bus. I've um, heard of, and I've heard of Kevin Barron's. I've heard of. Kevin Barron's is Brennan's older brother, and he okay. started Seattle Mopeds. Okay. Um, yep. And he's like sort of foundational to Mosquito Fleet. I'm not sure exactly how it all how petered out there, but or how it all started. But I know he's he's deeply involved. So I met all those guys. And then when I moved to Seattle, um, you know, I, I, free, I don't think it was necessarily about like which bikes were running, but I was sort of starting to like establish contacts. I was having like a really great time with scooters back in Ohio. So I tried to connect with the scooter scene in Seattle, but those guys were really standoffish. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I knew, uh, Brennan a bit. So I contacted him and just started showing up for like moped Mondays. And, uh, after a little while, um, I was invited to prospect, but prospecting for mosquito fleet is like serious shit. Like oh, yeah. your bike has to run. If you like miss anything, like you got to start over. Um, and I forget what some of the other qualifications were, but it was like serious business. So it was like, uh, you know, cause it rains a lot in Seattle. It's like rain is not like allowed to stop you from doing anything. So if there's, if there's rain on the moment of that, you get called to do anything, rain or shine, you're doing it mm-hmm. and they're, they're hardcore. And if you've gone on like moped Monday rides with the mosquito fleet, like they're just fucking blasting. And if yeah. they, and if they leave you behind, good luck, dude, like you're, you're <laughs> they're not going to come back for you. <laughs> that was one nice thing. Like I'm used to moped time. So like when people say fire up your bikes, like Friday at, um, the mechanic, the mechanic shop we we're at, um, I heard fire up your bikes. I'm like, okay, I'll get mine going. Fucking just, I was just tooling around because as soon as somebody says fire up bikes, I'm ready to go. Well, I was tooling around back in the shipyard back there. All of a sudden I see everybody fucking leaving. I'm like, Oh God, I gotta go. Yeah. 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 I I appreciated that. And like throughout the whole weekend, it was, I mean, other than Friday night with the people waiting to get food, I understand why it got kind of delayed, but cause that restaurant just got slammed and they were nice enough to wait and kind of push back the time, but you know, yeah, I appreciate that so much. We don't have to live on moped time. People, we can say seven o'clock, the ride leaves and we can leave at seven o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is like, there, there are two camps. It's like, I like it. I'm not sure how I feel about it because honestly, it's like, there are points where it's like, yeah, we got to get this thing going. Like let's, let's all get going here. And there's other situations where I feel like if you would just like wait 30 seconds, like more people can enjoy the, I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm split on it because I've seen it go both ways. I think for the, all I can say is my experience with them and for their rally, they did a good job wrangling cats mm-hmm. because like 
again, we had the issue Friday where like they had, I don't know how many tickets behind they were, but like I went to order food and I saw all the tickets. I'm like me and Chris bully just went and got burritos down the block. And that was, that was good. Um, but and the rest of the weekend, like it seemed like they were within five minutes of leaving of every time. So I don't know. Yeah, they they run a pretty tight ship. Yeah, if you catch my drift. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's that's not even close. Like responsible John class, like punnery right there. He's uh he's he's got some great stuff. Anyway. <laughs> but um, um, so your prospect, how long were you in Seattle for? I was only there for two years. Like the, the move to Portland kind of happened sort of suddenly. Um, and I kind of, I kind of miss Seattle in some ways. Like it's, it takes you like at least a year to kind of get to know a city. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where it's like you like figuring out the geography and figuring out like the kind of places that you want to be at. Like I make my friends pretty slow. And so it kind of took me a while to start to build a friend group in Seattle. And then, uh, my gal at the time, she got a job offer in Portland and then I was also kind of looking for other work possibilities that did not seem to exist in Seattle, even though I kind of moved out there for that reason. So when I moved to Portland, I basically got hired immediately. And I was like, all right, well, I guess it was, I'm supposed to be here now. Mm -hmm. So uh, again, uh, following my, my ex-girlfriend uh, to Portland at the time. Uh, but yeah, I was only there for about two years. Um, so what was how was Portland, the transition to Portland? Cause I, I think Portland's a beautiful city. Like I did not give it a, I was there for like 36 hours and that was right after Baker's and I was so burnt out. And like, yeah. I was dumb enough to go ride mopeds later. Um, <laughs> oh, dude, like, I can't believe it. How, why? Like that shows you how much, how in love I am with mopeds. Like, Let's go ride eighteen hundred and sixty miles, and then let's go ride mopeds again. And then ride like, some more. Yeah, yeah. God. yeah you, you had to be like a crispy critter at that point. Holy smokes! Like, dude, I, I was I, I was a robot. I was going through the motions at that point. Like, I yeah. just wanted to. Yeah, I've done some some long distance. I've done some long distance rides before, but the idea of doing a long distance ride, like a really long distance ride, one day, and then doing the same ride the next day, and then keeping that up for like a week. Like, I I will say I got to tip the hat to all the. Uh, Baker's dozen kids like it's fucking hardcore like like and like you're gonna need like a full gooch transplant after the whole thing is done and know it my butt nothing hurts like you know, my back like it just i don't know like my body i was just it was all mental for me it wasn't uh -huh. like it wasn't body hurting it wasn't anything like that like grant yeah i mean stuff hurt don't get me wrong but like my butt didn't hurt it was my lower back if anything and after i got a weight belt it was fine on that but um, going into Seattle. Was oh, you had like a like a weightlifting uh, belt. Yep. Okay. Going into Portland, going down Mount Hood on a moped, uh -huh. is a moment in time I'll hold on to ever. They're like, dude, that was so fucking rad. Like that's awesome. Seeing that mountain and then just riding down. Oh, dude, like I can't. And this is your this is your podcast. I've been talking to people from Bakers again the last week, and it's like I'm start. I I'm still processing everything we saw on that ride, but sure. What was it like riding mopeds in Portland versus Seattle like the first time for you? Well, first first of all, the difference is in the in the people. Like the puddle cutters are a very different like uh like attitude of a group than uh, mosquito fleet. And that's not like 
pejorative or complimentary necessarily. It's just, it's just a difference in culture mm -hmm. and, uh, Portland, it's just like a much more relaxed fit kind of town. Think of like, um, like Seattle as being kind of serious and kind of like professional and, uh, Portland is like the drunk little brother and <laughs> it's a, it's a smaller town. It's a much looser, like kind of easier going kind of place. Um, it's not nearly as hilly. It's it, there's some Hills, but not nearly like Seattle. And, you know, there's always kind of something going on and something to do. And it, it's sort of just like a lower barrier of entry for like a good time. Mm -hmm. So it's just easy to have fun in Portland. I'll just say that even as, as beat up as the town is these last couple of years, it's still a great town to have a good time in. Right on. Yeah. Um, I, I, like I said, touring around, touring around it a little bit, the bit I did, dude beautiful city um what how long were you just how did the transition to the cutters happen for you yeah so you know when i uh let's see to be to be perfectly honest like that transition period from like call it 2008 to 2010 for me that's kind of like the sort of low period in my sort of moped journey Mm -hmm. Uh, mostly because like economically, like I was, I was struggling. Um, uh, it was the recession. Oh yeah. I, I, I had got... to live with my mom, dude. That was great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I got, I remember just an anecdote here in 2008, after I first got this job at like this startup doing this, this tech stuff with like AutoCAD, um, it was a decent job and like the stuff in the stock market was happening and we got this like announcement from this person I'd never seen before. It's like, Hey, just everybody know, like, uh, you know, we're looking at the forecast and everything's going to be okay. So no need to worry. Everything's just fine. And then, uh, two weeks later, uh, the same guy comes in and like, he pulls like three or four people out of the room that I'm working in. And then another person comes in and tells everyone that they're fired. <laughs> <laughs> so after that happened, I was basically unemployed for six months. And yeah. it was, it was tough shit because I wasn't really able to like move back in with my parents at that point. And mm -hmm. I had to like sell shit to survive. I was, uh, like filling out job applications any which way that I could. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember applying at a hardware store and the guy told me that 250 people applied for the same job. Oh, it was nuts. It was nuts. Uh, so I had to sell uh, a bunch of like my scooters and mopeds during that period. And, and probably got pennies on the dollar if right. that, yeah, dude, was, and that's, that's the thing that really probably chapped your, I mean, you had to, you had to eat, I get it, dude. Like, right. oh, but that's just rough when you're selling that stuff and like, yeah, sorry. No, it's, it's, it's all good. Cause that's how it is. And like one of my favorite bikes ever, which was a, uh, a Pook Newport that like a beautiful, like champagne, uh, burgundy color, whatever you call that. Mm -hmm. And, um, it had a ZA 50 cause I like ZA fifties with a Tomos a 35 top end. I had machined three millimeters off the top because at that time, everybody was obsessed with a 50, 50, 50 yeah. CC, 50 mile an hour bikes. And that thing had, anyway, the point is, is like, I love this bike. It was a great bike. And I was kicking the shit out of this bike all the time back in Ohio. And after like, like being in Seattle for like, you know, 18 months, I had to sell the thing, which really uh, bummed me out. Um, 
and also like my my gal at the time was not super down with like the culture and like the obsession with bikes mm-hmm. so i kind of felt like i had to sort of like protect her from this part of my life anyway the point is is that when i moved to portland and everything was just a lot easier and chill and i was in the point where i could actually buy back some of my old bikes so like this guy i knew from ohio had basically held on to my old gila bike that i mentioned earlier so like mm-hmm. i had sold that to someone else for whatever reason and it but it was still in the community and he mentioned it to me and i was able to get it back Dude, so that's rad. it was it was it was such a great moment and uh this bike um because everybody was painting their mopeds weird things at the time i painted this bike to look like the van halen guitar of course so, dude that's awesome so my my van halen guitar pook maxi with the gila motor came back to me once i was mo- lived in once i was living in portland and at that point i was hanging out with the puddle cutters and uh this guy named uh dean that also knows like metal dean <laughs> he, he asked me if i wanted the prospect for the puddle cutters and i was like sure and uh again it was like some of the same stuff not as hardcore as mosquito fleet but just you know gotta show up yep yeah dude that's uh that's pretty rad now let me ask you this i got two things to ask you um i don't know how fo- how into the instagram follows you are somebody has done the van halen guitar thing again uh yep. one of the kickstand boys out of detroit like he's yep. doing he did it on vespa yeah i didn't know if you saw that and then my buddy Lee Pinkerton is did a fifty on fifty build with a A three five Tomo cylinder, and like uh-huh. he's done a lot of interesting port work to that. You might grape ice. He used to be grape ice cream on Moped Army. I think he changed his name again to like. I'll have to look it up for you so you can see his build thread. He did a really good job on it, and then like life happened, and you know the build thread didn't get updated as much as it did. But like he's sitting here in St. Paul, like there's so many good, and I'm not even counting myself. Like Lee is kind of really been into mopeds like three, four years now. And like, he is pushing the envelope. So have so hard on a lot of French tech. Uh, he's got stage six Peugeot, um, that a 55, he just got a TSM kind of a rare TSM, um, from, I don't know where the hell he got it from. They was sitting at Treatland for like a year and a half. He finally got shipped to his house. Like, so I'll have to link you up with that. Um, but when it came, my question is, do you, do you have pictures of that Van Halen bike? Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Is it, I'll have to, I'll have to see some of those. Um, yeah, I got pictures from like back in like 2003 with like the original setup and I was running like a Michelin, like M29s, like, two and three quarter like race tires because that's all you could really get at the time mm-hmm. i'll send you some photos yeah dude that's rad that's rad um what did you ever like you talk about rallies and stuff like that and you were at the first days of the rallies like let me ask you this were the, were the bourbon bandits rallies as big as they said they were oh my god <laughs> one of well i don't know if they were big because no they, they're, they, they probably were because they were spring rallies weren't they well yeah, that sounds right. Here's the thing. I don't remember how big it was. It was a pretty big crew when mm-hmm. I went. I went to uh, uh, Get Rich or Die Mayan, uh, which is like the 2012 rally. I never, and, okay. Yeah. And, you know, because like the Mayan calendar was running out and like oh, the apocalypse shit. and all that shit. Okay. The the Bourbon Bandits rally, that rally in, in particular, the 2012 one, 
is probably one of my favorite, if not the favorite moped rally I've ever been to. Like Louisville, Kentucky is a great city to have a moped rally in. These kids were having a lot of fun. Uh, Responsible John uh, and the Yetis were letting me borrow. I think it was a a Hobbit that I was on. I forget. But anyway, it was a great, it was a great loner bike. Thanks, John or Phil. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I had such a good time. Uh, The Bourbon Bandits knew how to throw throw a fucking rally. It was a good time. Yeah, they got a they've got a couple clicks down there now. They got the KFC. And yep. Then they've got um, Dewey Martin and God, what the hell is this Bad Breed uh, Grom Gang? That's like, oh, you know, yeah, I saw a back patch that looked yeah, pretty yeah. cool. Dewey's a good guy, I like Dewey. Um, and I Bad Breed's a good, good bunch of bunch of fellas and fellettes. I don't know if there's girls in there or not, but like, uh, I keep on pushing them. They've got to do the spring rally this year because um, when the Daggers did theirs in Tennessee in Nashville. Man, people turned out. I think for a couple reasons. A, it was the first real ra- big rally since COVID. Yep. And B, it was a spring rally, so everybody from the north. It hadn't gotten warm here yet. Like uh-huh. I, I had rode my bike once, maybe twice, and I'm like, don't care. I'm going. It's right. like 65. Everybody's just loving life. Um, have you made it down to any of the creature rallies or anything down in California? I know it's a long trip for you guys. Yes. Yeah. It's a big trip. I was in uh, Sacramento for their rally, Lancewood's rally. I think that was like 2013, 2014, something like that. Okay. Um, I have the t-shirt. I don't remember what it was called. <laughs> uh, also a good time. Really, really fun time. Um, I like it when rallies take the chances, cha- take a chance and run you out to someplace weird. And they took mm-hmm. us out to like one of like the original Chinatowns, like the, un- like the underground Chinatown like uh main streets because the the chinese railroad workers weren't allowed to like co-mingle with white people so there's like an an underground city and outside of sacramento and uh yeah that rally was a lot of fun too very different environment because you know sacramento it's it's mostly flat as uh, a pancake and they build their bikes to go top speed only so Mm -hmm. everyone's just (laughs) ripping hard i was on a uh, a hobbit that i owned at the time and one of the variator weights melted awesome <laughs> yeah, this is great this is perfect and so like the bike's top speed was like 25 or something like that of course. it was just terrible it was terrible it was a good bike otherwise but man it was having a tough time then yeah that's uh that's always fun when you're on uh, when you have an issue on a bike at a rally and you're just trying to milk it along um what during the downtime in the long, long ago, COVID, um, I see you start getting into like casting stuff. Yeah. Like what's, what's up with that? Like, okay. and I think it's rad that you're like yeah. anybody who's doing stuff in mopeds, whether it's building pipes, uh, turning cylinder heads, mm-hmm. casting cylinders, that's fucking rad. Like I can barely keep hobbits running. So like, want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, so let's see. Okay. So just to connect dots back in time here. So at the, we're, I'm, I'm going to get there real quickly, but just bear with Don't me. Don't worry here. about it. So the, in the first Kalamazoo barbecue that I went to, uh, I brought my Gila bike way back then, but 50 CC bikes were not allowed. The bike that I mentioned earlier, the Tomos with the mach- machined head and on the uh, ZA 50 bottom end, that was actually the bike that I built to go back to Kalamazoo with. 
to try and win the no rules race because it was 50 cc's. And I outran uh, Chad Burke on like one of the sections, but then I made a wrong turn somewhere and I lost the race, but whatever. <laughs> not holding on to resentments. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not angry about it. Chad Burke. <laughs> um, so at that point, you know, I went to school for industrial design and industrial design kind of gives you like a run through, like sort of a crash course on how lots of different things are manufactured. So like injection molding, uh, thermoforming plastic, like metal casting, all this other stuff. And they give you like a very quick, like one shot shot, like technique of doing things. So after the second no rules race, I decided, you know what, I'm going to build this like ultimate 50 CC Pook maxi, like let's fucking go. <laughs> so I cast the cylinder back then it took me a while because I didn't really know what I was doing. And what I did was I basically made a wax and styrofoam sculpture that would become a casting and I cast it and it looks gross, but it was functional. I call it the swamp thing. And there's actually a video of it on uh, YouTube because I got the thing to run and it was quick. But of course this was like years after, of course, the thing I started to build it for, because I just kind of kept sidelining this project and like years are falling off the clock. And eventually like I'm on like the roof of my apartment building in Seattle with like a homemade furnace and I'm pouring aluminum onto someone's roof, basically. <laughs> don't worry about it. Uh, so it, I did that project. That was like around 2000, I don't know, 2009. And then I ended up machining it in 2012 or 13. And that's when the bike actually ran, of course, many years after what I intended it to do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was since the beginning, since the very beginning, like we're talking about the first fast bike that I built was a Gilardoni 75 CC. And in all that time, in the 20 something years that I've been doing mopeds, no one's built an off the shelf cylinder, air cooled, ready to go that outperforms the Gilardoni. Like the successor never came. And in the way that the moped scene has adapted, like the parts market where you can actually get like really good crankshaft or really good clutches or any kind of carburetor that you want. There's, there's so much more parts available nowadays than there were when I started. But one thing that hasn't changed is that the gatekeeper for performance pooks and also all their antecedent bikes that use those cylinders is the Gilardoni. Now I know that you can build like a Euro kit cylinder to go really fast, or like you pull, you port like a Polini kit just so, or these pistons and these carburetor combinations will outperform a Gilardoni. That's true. But the Gilardoni has always been the gatekeeper. It's always been home base for performance. And as a guy that, um, has read all the tuning manuals and gone deep on all like the tuning research and like the formulas and like, you know, the port timing aspects of things. I know that the Gilardoni leaves a lot of opportunity on the table. Like there's no reason that auto scoots that are passively air-cooled or dirt bikes that are the same situation that were made in the eighties with eighties style engine architecture have like twice the horsepower of a Gilardoni. Now the, of course, the limitation is that the transmission of a moped makes a lot of sacrifices that have to be accounted for in other aspects of the two-stroke system. Mm -hmm. And so the conservative nature of like the port timing, the exhaust ports, the carburation, et cetera, et cetera, on a moped are mostly to account for the transmission. Even so there's still opportunity for improvement. 
So looking at like the, the NSR 80, the um, Crystal Fellini or the Too Fast for Racing, a lot of these other two-stroke engines that are built for like a small format, 80 cc's, air-cooled, whatever, they point to performance that's available that mopeds could have if someone were to build that cylinder. So I just built the cylinder. I basically designed, I looked at the port timing figures. I ran the math a bunch of different ways. I more or less like reverse engineered a bunch of other cylinders that were captivating to me because of what they're doing and because they seemed approximate to what a moped could use. Mm -hmm. And I took those numbers. I ran them through some formulas. I came out with things I thought I could live with. I designed a, a port map. I designed all the, the cylinder internals. And my goal is to not um, necessarily do like a DIY project where I learn a lot about casting. It's to actually build the, the heir apparent, the successor to the Gillardoni. And having learned a lot from my first casting attempt, I'm building this thing in such a way where even if the cylinder, you know, doesn't work out the way I want it to, the internals of the mold that I made are modular enough to where I can adjust the port timing and I can adjust like the arrangements and their geometry and make it just right in further generations. Um, I've also been working on developing not just a design for a cylinder, but a manufacturing technique that I think is actually going to have applications for other mopeds because there are fringe, fringy mopeds that are good motors and good bikes, but there's not a lot of parts available for them. And at some point, whether it's through like laser centering, uh, 3d printing, or through some other method, mopeders who are committed to like keeping these bikes alive or just letting them die, um, eventually someone's going to have to make some parts. Mm -hmm. And if you have like, say like a, like a track moped or like a bot of us, like M56 or something like that, like there may not be enough interest in that bike to keep it running, even though there's really nothing wrong with the moped. It's just mm -hmm. that this is the obsolescence of mopeds that are like 50 ish years old. Mm -hmm. I've got like a Gorelli VIP and it runs great, but you can't really get parts for it. So yeah. I was going to say like a sax or a Gorelli or something like yeah, yeah, yeah. that are still cool bikes, but like you, just, you can't really do a lot with them. Yeah. They're, they're so limited, so it's, limited. Yeah. And part of the cylinder project that I've come across because I, I don't know how, are you familiar with like lost wax casting? Ah, uh, very, 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 very rudimentary. Uh, we did, we did some casting mm -hmm. in like shop class. Like we okay. made a, we made yeah. a sand casting for a, um, C clamp. I mean, that's, that's it. So like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like the, the process itself is, is pretty similar. I mean, or I guess I should say that the process that I'm developing is similar to lost wax casting and in its guts, like it's a simple method. It's like you, you make a, you make a form, you make a shape mm -hmm. out of like a, a disposable material that you can burn. You coat it in plaster, you heat it up, you get rid of whatever the, the material was to begin with. And then you fill the hole with hot metal that becomes the thing that's lost wax casting, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of problems with that. And if you want to do it at any kind of scale and any kind of reliability, you have to account for some of the problems with lost wax. What I'm trying to do with my, and I call the cylinder, the whip snake, uh, because of this funny YouTube clip about uh, a backpack that has too many features, mm -hmm. um, you should check out whip snake on YouTube. But, uh, uh, one of the, the reasons I've gone through a couple of generations of designing this thing is because lost wax casting is ultimately 
it requires too much of an individual moped person to do it. Whereas this new method that I'm developing, anybody with like a backyard or an alleyway that no one's going to bother them for a little while and their own oven in their kitchen can basically replicate the method that I'm making, which I call destructible die molding. Um, but back to the issue at hand, I've been casting this thing for a couple years. I started with lost wax. I gave up on lost wax because of the difficulty I, uh, I optimized the mold a couple different ways. I built a new mold system. Again, I call that uh, destructible die cut destructible die casting. And, uh, I'm getting real close to like a, a usable result. <laughs> uh, I've got three that are probably good enough to go to the machine shop. Uh, but none of them that would necessarily look good enough to where I would feel comfortable, like, you know, like showing it off necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, I took the, there's the one picture of the one that's on uh, my Instagram account. And I put that on Reddit and like the first guy on Reddit that responded to it is like, you know what cylinders are supposed to look like, right? It's like, <laughs> this is, this is not even close to what could be considered usable. Like, and <laughs> then he references uh, two stroke stuffing, which is that fella in Norway. Yeah, it's doing all kinds of fantastic stuff. Like I, I love, I love that guy's YouTube channel, and I've actually uh, chatted with him before about um, casting specifics, like uh, you know, plaster dry times and like uh, like heating cycles and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. um, I love watching his project. Uh, oh yeah, he he's like spinning off into like the fucking galaxy. Like he's he started with like a, a pretty understandable liquid cooled cylinder system, and now he's like reengineering like the perfect engine. Yeah. And it's like, are you even going to Bonneville at this point? Because that's what it started out like yeah, the yeah. fastest 50 CC motor in the world. And it's yeah. like, dude, you're just in your shop, like just playing like, and God bless him. Like I watch a show. Yeah. We watch a show. I mean, yeah, I've talked to him a few times. Like he looks like my family members, like, cause I'm mostly Norwegian and like, oh, okay. He, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, oh, he looks like Uncle Ed. Like it's kind of funny, um, but it's like his absolute stubbornness and like dr stubbornness slash determination to keep pushing this and figuring out the equation. I have so much respect for him. Yeah, I, mean, I have. I have so much respect for him as well. And but there's also this frustration part of me where it's like. Like you got really close with that one cylinder after like you went through the whole design and casting process and then you machined it and you got a piston for it. And he's got like the weird piston where like the, the top of the piston screws on the body of the piston. Yeah, because, dude, that's because freaking the, insane. Because it's a it's a gapless ring. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, yeah, it's like, when are you going to like apply this thing? Because he keeps re-engineering the engine and keeps going deeper into the theory of the motor. It's like, are we ever going to see like a finished, like running bike that like actually like shows us what it can really do. And that that's where I'm at with it. It's like, when's it going on a bike? Like, I mean, yeah. and yeah, yeah. like, thank goodness he didn't go out to Bonneville this year because they got rained out. I, like, I saw that. Yeah. They got like an inch of water, like standing water, like overnight too. It was freaking nuts. Like I it, still, I can't I still imagine. Talk, yeah. I was, they were doing testing out there the week we were coming home from Baker's and if we would have wanted to hang out for a day in Utah, we could, I could have hung out with some people in the pits, but I just like, I want to get home. I want to get home. I want right. to bed. Like, right. but that, that's a bucket list item that I definitely got to go see is Bonneville salt flats. Like I've, I've done, um, 
Pikes Peak Hill Climb as a kid. That was I, I was a spectator. I didn't do it, but like okay. that was super rad experience. Um, but and I gotta go. You know, I gotta go to Bonville. I gotta check that out. Like that be super rad to like just be there for a day. Bonneville is the goal. Like once the cylinder is done, I, I'm taking this bike to Bonneville. And I'll just say this on record right now. Once the cylinder is like operational and all that kind of crap, uh, I don't see any reason why we can't have a, a moped that starts with pedals and has a very basic transmission go hundred miles an hour. Like, I feel like that is the goal for me. Speaking of which, yeah. Have you talked to Jordan? Uh, from Omaha, I don't, I don't think so. He, I have to set you up with that. Boy Let's because, do this. Well, Jordan did eight. This is all like glimpse or GPS. I'm not sure who had yeah, him yeah. at 80 mile an hour on a Gila during right. Baker's. Okay. And he, I, I'm not going to tell other people's stories, but like, I'll, I'll talk to you afterwards on the podcast, but Jordan uh-huh. is somebody always blowing up bikes, but always pushing the envelope of speed, especially on the Gila's. I think you two would definitely bouncing some ideas off each other would be awesome to put you two together just to right see on. what happens. Right um, Jordan's a pretty smart cat when it comes to, I mean, he's wrecked a lot of shit, but like yeah. anybody pushing the envelope is going to wreck a lot of shit. And I have so much respect for Jordan. His partner Val is awesome lady. Like just that whole conglomerate of those two are just rad, rad, rad people. Um, your cylinders got me excited, dude. Like I'm all about hearing people do new stuff and like, right. I can, I can listen to smart people like you talk about stuff like that all day long. I dig it. Um, but now you talked about being a hot, like some Hobbit stuff. Would this cylinder be, um, are you thinking about ever applying anything to like Hobbit technology with the cylinder? Uh, is that, could, are you just kind of, are you just kind of right now we have, we've got this goal, we've got this line of things going on. We need to focus on this. Cause like right now, in my opinion, the, the only cell, if you want speed out of a Hobbit, the only cylinder I have is a metric kit. Like that, yeah. unless you're going water cooled and go stage six and you go 90 mile an hour or whatever. But like that metric kit if, for power, man, that thing yeah i can i can run 60 miles an hour at 300 degrees air cold and like let me let me ask you i'll answer your question with another question here like uh what do you think of the state of available hobbit crankshafts like because the crankshaft for the was like the kind of critical weakness for high-powered hobbits for a long Mm -hmm. time for my my thing is i have not had any issues with the stuffy crank like and as soon and you run that HPI, you got to run a weight. I've noticed mm. um, it. It takes a little bit of power out of it, but like you're not gonna wear, wear out uh, crank bearings then, because that was an issue I was having that I didn't understand at first. Because I'm still new, and I'll right. be the first one to admit. Like I have to destroy a lot of stuff to learn. Yeah, I kept, I kept on wearing out crank bearings. I didn't understand why. Well. I think it was Conan or maybe Shane or at the same time they said the same thing. How come you never run uh, HPI weights? And I'm like, well, let me do some research about this. And that changed, a, that smoothed everything out. But like when it comes to Hobbit cranks, I haven't had an issue 
like snapping them like they did back in the day. Like yeah. once, um, I think dose, I, you know, it's, it depends who you hear from. Like dose was doing a lot of stuff with, with, uh, stuffy cranks or mm-hmm. their own cranks at first and treats is putting out cranks or they got a supplier. I don't know. I'm probably butchering everything. I've been really happy with both of them to be honest with you. I mean, well, uh, I'll say that I think that from what I understand from my own Hobbit experience and other people's Hobbit experiences, I think they have like a cooling issue. I think that like oh, everybody yeah. I talk to with a Hobbit always has to run, like they have to be very careful about temperature control because they have like ported well-designed go fast cylinders that are made of cast iron with relatively small cylinder heads in a position that isn't necessarily breathing the hardest. Does anybody make like a really good aluminum Hobbit cylinder right now? Um, it's right now for me to keep it cool. Yeah. Again, it's that, it's that metric kit for the okay. Hobbit and that Derby head. Like yeah. I can run 55, like and dial back my port i can my timing at 1.5 with the mm-hmm. hp h before top dead center and i'm running 310 degrees so i mean okay. yeah you, that's, that's... it can be it can be done and like baker's taught me so much about tuning right. especially for the high elevation um when it comes to the oem head no you're not gonna yeah. keep them cool it's just yeah. not gonna happen i mean i know they've got those pook they got some pook heads designed for hobbits that help, but like, could it be better? Yeah. yeah. I mean, definitely. That's if that's your question, could it be better? Hell yeah. I mean, push, so, push the envelope. What I've seen with the, the scene in general is that if you build a high performance part for a moped, usually like the rest of like the parts availability will compensate for it. So mm-hmm. there's some pretty good cylinders that are available for the hobbit in terms of performance. And ultimately the, the real constraint on making it go fast. I mean, like if you're, if you're actually in a position like me, where you're trying to like craft something to make it go faster is the cylinder stud geometry that you probably don't want to change and the quality of the crankshaft. Mm -hmm. So if you have good quality crankshafts, and if you look at the cylinder stud geometry, the, the cylinder studs basically form a cage around what ports are possible to blow through this, this engine. And I think on a Hobbit, it's pretty good actually. So uh, I could take the guts of the whip snake and probably adapt it to a Hobbit external form in some future generation and produce, because the goal here is basically 150% of Gilardoni power. So yeah. if you look at the Gilas that come out of the box, they are good for around 11 or 12 horsepower, which is not mm-hmm. too bad for a moped. Mm-hmm. But when you look at, the comparable like auto scoot or dirt bike cylinders or, or cart cylinders of a a similar capacity, like they're all in the twenties. Yeah. So you don't want a 25 horsepower moped cylinder because it's (laughs) going to fuck up your transmission real fast. It's going to tear shit apart real like now. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, a 17 or an 18 horsepower cylinder is pretty freaking good. And most of the internals of the motor can hang with it. If like, you know, the material testing that, or the material analysis that I did like on fusion 360 is worth a darn back in 1956, NSU did a streamlined, uh, Bonneville salt flats racer, uh, 50 CC liquid cooled. I think it was turbocharged motor that went 120 miles an hour on the Damn. salt. 
and it had like, I want to say 20 horsepower. So for a, a semi streamliner moped with like 18 horsepower, I feel like we are, we would be getting close to hundred miles an hour. Mm -hmm. That's my goal. And yeah, you know, succeed or fail. That's what I want to try. You know, yeah, I know that rad. back in the day, there's a, a mosquito fleet, other gang uh, called black ball that some of those guys are still around and they took a tuned Minarelli uh, to Bonneville many years ago and they had mixed results. I think they had some tuning issues. Like it was a fast, fast bike, but I don't think they were able to compensate for the altitude and the jetting changes. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Yeah. And I think that their, their max speed run was like in the sixties, which is probably less than that bike was good for. I bet you that bike was good for a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. No, that's uh once you get in that altitude, that changes everything. It does change a lot. <laughs> that was uh, a lot of frustration with people on Bakers this coming year. Mm -hmm. Like, and I jokingly tell people, you know, some of those mountain passes, I'd never been so proud to go 35 mile an hour in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's cool. But no, that's gonna, that. What was that? I'm going to need to take a break in a moment. Well, I was going to say, we're about wrapping it up because I have to get up early. Okay. And I definitely want to have you on again, chit-chat, uh, casting, mopeds, more sure. stories from the past. Um, I can't thank you enough for coming on Second Chance, a moped podcast. Um, Josh, it's been really enlightening. Um, I love it when we can talk about the past and you being an old head from the past um, pushing technology to this day. Um, I can't thank you again, everybody. Um, keep listening. I'll keep putting them out. Um, Josh, is there anything you want to direct anybody to your anything? Oh yeah. 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 So like when I'm not goofing with mopeds, I do a, a movie podcast called solid six and it's basically just me, my girlfriend and my buddy Brady talking about movies that we like. So if you like movie podcasts, uh, solid six dot podcast, uh, solid, solid six dot net. Um, also puddle cutters are working on a rally. We've got like the fire having gone to blood drive and, uh, we are going to go hard in the paint for this next one. So the next puddle cutters rally, June 23rd through 25th, 2023. Uh, I hope y'all can make it. Dude. That's awesome. Uh, I saw that pop up on MA the other day. Um, I'm excited. I don't know if I'll be able to make this one. We'll got to see my uh, chase driver and I have already committed to each other for Bakers next year. Ah, so, really? oh, dude, like it's in the worst times we had together that probably brought us together closer as friends. We were both at each other's throat, and he said to me, "If you don't think we're not fucking doing this again next year, you're fucking not. like we." <laughs> he was at my house uh, Thursday, and we were both saying we were doing it again. So. Yeah, we're going to plan that. But, dude, I loved your city, the few hours I was in it. Um, I loved this podcast we just got done doing. I'm definitely going to have to check out your show. We'll chit-chat a little bit after the podcast. And I can't thank you again, Josh, for coming on. And don't forget, mopeds are dumb. They're so dumb. Dumb. All right. Thanks, my guy. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.